Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would take out your Bible or your pew Bible or open up your Bible app, whichever it is that you spend time in the Word with, if you would take that up, open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Our text today is chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and she asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will be not taken away from her. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So you, O Lord, are our strength and our shield, our rock and our redeemer. You, O Lord, your words are the food that feeds our souls, that powers our lives. So as we hear your word read and proclaimed, may our ears be open, our hearts receptive, and our very souls laid before you, so that in hearing your word we will be transformed to leave this place not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I was in the third grade in Ms. Reagan's class, and I can remember it almost like it was yesterday, and it it sort of woke me up in a dream, if you will, this week. I remember this, it was, we were in there, it was late in the afternoon, late in the day, we were exhausted, we were tired of school, I mean, we were cranky third graders, let's be really honest. And she was one of those old school teachers, I mean old school, like there was no Tom Fuller in the classroom, and if there was eight hours instruction to give, we were going to get eight hours and five minutes because the five minutes were what we also needed. That's where it was. It was hardcore education in her class, or at least that's how I remember it. And I remember it was late in the day, and she says, we're going to have a pop test. Now, there are two things you never want to hear in life pop test. Those two words should never go together. That's just not something you're looking forward to. And as a third grader who was ready to be done with school at the end of the week that's been too long, that is the last thing you want. So she passed this test out to us face down on our desk and she says, now when I tell you go, you're going to turn the page over and your instructions are this, read all the directions all the way through and then do what it says. 
Now, I said, when I, when I say go, turn this paper, paper over, grab your pencils, read all the directions all the way through, and do what it says. And, of course, you know, this was back in the days of the mimeograph machine. Now, some of you remember those, and some of you teachers really remember those. And you could kind of see through the paper, and we could tell that there was a lot of stuff. There were like 30, 40 lines worth of things on there. We thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. What a way to end the week. And she says, go. Oh, and she also thought she said, you've got 20 minutes. So now the thing that you don't want to do, you're going to get graded on, and you can tell it's forever, and you've got 20 minutes. And you don't want to be there. And she says, go. And immediately the classroom erupts into this cacophony of craziness. I mean, there are kids making barnyard noises, writing their names on the board, running around like chickens with a head cut off. Someone's over in the corner playing hopscotch. And yet there are three kids in the middle of the class that just put their heads down. Almost immediately, just put their heads down and close their eyes. And before too long, all of us had our heads down and our eyes closed. Because if you had followed the instructions at the beginning and read all the way through the list, the last instruction said, now that you've got to the bottom of the page, don't do any of the other things. Put your head down and take a nap. Meanwhile, some of the rest of the class was working through them line by line, only to sheepishly get at the end and realize you can put your head down with the two minutes left in class and take a nap. Do you ever feel like you're barreling through life, just going and going and going and not really sure what you're doing or why you're doing it? It's just go, 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 go. And there might even seem to be no purpose to what you're doing. I mean, you've got a list and you're executing it, but it's always just back and forth and forth and back and doing things. And you're not sure why. There's a cure for that. And I think it's in this text. I think it's in this text today. Because see what happens is Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house and he knocks on the door and he says, hello. He sort of invites himself in. And of course, they are so honored that Jesus, the son of God, would choose their house. They welcome him in. I mean, who wouldn't, right? I mean, if Jesus knocked on your door today, would you not welcome him in? We'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, they do that. They invite him in. And Martha sets out, she is going to make a name for herself. She is going to be listed in Garden and Gun or Southern Living or anything else. Forsyth woman is the hostess with the mostest because she hosted the Lord Most High. So she sets out doing all the things. But her sister Mary does what? Sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. Now, at some point in the story, all of a sudden, Martha either burns out, finishes everything she's doing, or she looks up and, is re- and all of a sudden is cognizant of the fact that she is running around doing all this work and that Mary is sitting still, just listening to Jesus. And she's resentful and she's jealous. And so she goes to Jesus and she asks Jesus to scold Mary for making her do all the work. Now, friends, if there's anything I have learned in reading the text, in reading the Bible over these years, is when someone gets on their high and mighty horse, a little bit of self-righteousness, and asks Jesus to scold the rest of us, what does Jesus do? 
not that. Jesus instead turns the table, holds the mirror up, and he says, Martha, 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 Martha. He gets her attention. He calls her name twice, actually. I, I sort of, you know, drug it out a little bit. But he calls her name twice, same effect, catches her, and he challenges her that she's been distracted and not focused on what matters most. That she's not focused on the one thing that matters most. Now, none of us like to be called out. None of us like to be rebuked. And even when we think we're on the high and mighty horse, we definitely don't like the mirror turned on us and Jesus to go, ah, uh, it's you. So I'm sure this is stinging to Martha. And I'm sure in a moment that Mary, who thought that she was going to get scolded, sort of, you know, got kind of, you know, maybe a little self-righteous on her own. But I think that we're missing the point if we dwell on that. Instead, listen to what Jesus said. She's focused on the one thing that matters. So I think in here there's a lesson for us, and it's got two parts of it. The first part is in our discipleship and the way that we follow Jesus, that we need to focus on our relationship with Christ. That's the first part. The second part, that in order to live, in order to practice our faith, in order to be hearers and doers of the word, to show evidence that we have been listening that we must have a purpose and a direction to how we act. And that only comes from, guess what? Listening to Christ. So we must focus on our relationship. In order to live out our faith, we must focus on what Christ says to us. So I think the lesson for us as followers, the lesson for the Christian faith, the lesson for the world is this. The world needs more Marys. And my friends, that can be us. We can be the Marys the world needs if we're really willing to do just as she did. So think with me a little bit about the word hospitality, about what it means. The, de the classic definition is hospitality is, friendly, is a friendly, generous reception and entertaining of guests, visitors, and strangers. A friendly, generous reception and entertaining of guests, visitors, and strangers. Chances are, when we think about this definition, that we would never, ever think of inviting a guest into our home and then leaving them alone, right? We would never invite someone in to our home and then leave them alone while we go do other things. I mean, that's rude by today's standards, isn't it? Oh, come on into my home. I'm so glad you're here. Here, sit in the living room, and then you just disappear. Because even though that's rude, the truth is if we were to do that, not only is it rude, but we miss out on the joy of their company, don't we? We miss out on the visit, on the relationship. We miss out on the opportunity to build a deeper relationship with them. So what happened in the story with Mary and with Martha? Martha is so busy, so busy trying to make everything perfect, doing all the things because Jesus is in her house that she missed the chance to get to know him. She missed the chance to visit with him. 
I mean, Jesus knows her. He knows her imperfections. He probably knows that things aren't perfect in the house, but she missed the chance. That's easy for us as we read this to say, oh, well, that would never happen. Surely that would not happen. I mean, if you know, no, we would never let that happen in our house. What would we do? We would probably, you know, if someone came to the door, let's say, oh, I don't know. Let's say that 1205, the most important person you could think of in your life, knocks on your door. You've just sat down for lunch after church. What would you do? Think about your house as it is right now. Chances are you would welcome them in and say, excuse me for a minute, and then go through the house, shutting doors, maybe hiding places, hoping that just keep them out of the kitchen, you know, or, and then the whole time you're there, you're sitting there in the sitting room, wherever it is, the nicest room that you can entertain, the most important guest you would ever host, whether it's the backyard, the back porch, the den, the parlor, whatever you call that room in your house. And you would quietly pray that nothing else would go wrong. Those of you with small children, you know when they're going to start a squabble, right? Just as soon as company comes. The dog is going to create havoc. When? When company comes. The junk drawer is going to decide to collapse. When? When company comes. So your whole life they're there, you're praying. So we say, oh, we don't do this. We would never do like Martha. Oh, but would you? But we do this with our spiritual lives as well. Just the same as surprise company, and we sit and we try to close off and hide things from the world. We do this in our spiritual lives. Oftentimes when we invite Jesus into our hearts, oftentimes what we find people do one of two things. We either ignore Jesus or we try to hide from Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So a lot of times when we're working with our confirmation class, usually the week before they're confirmed, Tammy and I tell them that this is not the end of your journey. This is just another marker. This is a major step in your journey because you are taking control of your faith. You are inviting Jesus in. You're saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and I want you in my heart, but it doesn't stop right there. It's a lifetime journey. But oftentimes, those confirmands go MIA. We see them on Confirmation Sunday. We might not see some of them again until Christmas or Easter or, or maybe even not until Senior Sunday or maybe even after they graduate college and they come back to want to get married. Sometimes that happens. But I'm not just picking on confirmands. That happens with us as adults as well. We stand up in the front of the church and we affirm our faith, our membership, and then we disappear. We essentially invite Christ into our hearts. And then we forget to work on the relationship. We forget to work on it. As a matter of fact, we just kind of just forget all about it. That's what I mean by sometimes we ignore Christ. Then there are times that we hide from Christ. I mean, think about this. It's, like, it's just like this conversation we had earlier about inviting surprise company to your house. What do you do? You shut all the doors so that hopefully the company doesn't see the imperfections in your house, right? They don't want to know that there's that one closet that no one should ever open or that the kids' room is always, you know, you try to teach your kids there's a place for everything and everything in its place, and what really happens is there's a place for everything and it's everything all over the place. So when you have company come, you shut the doors to hide those flaws because you don't want anyone to know, Right? 
Well, we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we try to hide ourselves from Jesus. We don't want to talk about our doubts or our fears. We don't want to admit our shortcomings, our failings. We don't want to admit that sometimes we get angry or frustrated or that we just don't know or that sometimes that we're really just not the best people. But what Christ really wants from us is a relationship. Christ knows our imperfections. Christ knows that we're not perfect, just like that we all know that somewhere in your house is a junk drawer, probably a junk closet, and then there's maybe the garage. Because guess what? We've got it too. Or maybe we stuff stuff under the bed and hope that only we're the only people that does that. <laughs> anyway, Jesus knows our flaws. I mean, it's the beauty of this. Jesus knows that we're imperfecting. What Jesus really wants is just a relationship with us. Wants us to spend time with him. Wants us to really get to know him and know his love for us. I mean, this is the God that creates us and knows everything about us. Just wants to have that. So in the story, what does Mary do? Warts and all, Mary just sits at Jesus' feet. And that's all God asks of us. Spend time at my feet. Spend time listening to me. Ask me the questions you want to know. Tell me your doubts. Tell me your fears. Pour it all out because I'm here in your house. That's what it's for. I mean, if Jesus were to knock on the door and come into your house today, my guess is you've got a whole list of questions. And you would start with, uh, so Jesus, tell me about mosquitoes or whatever it might be. And just kind of go through the list. So if we would do that, if Jesus showed up at our door, why do we just not do this every day? Because Jesus is in our hearts. We spend time at the feet of Jesus in prayer, in scripture, in worship. We don't need to be doing just one time a year, one time a week. We need to do this every day. So we talked about last week about these ideas of works of piety, works of mercy, ways that we build that relationship. We do this every day. So what we realize is that that's what Mary teaches us. To spend time on that relationship. Because that's what matters most. And we begin to think about that. We begin to think about our lives and the craziness of them, right? Sometimes we get overwhelmed with all the things that we need to do. There's white space in your bulletin. And if I said, okay, we're going to take 10 minutes, grab a pen, piece of paper, and make me a list of everything you think you need to get done in the next six months. I'll make it easy. It's four months. I mean, Christmas is about four months away. Tell me everything you think you need to get done between now and Christmas. And you would make this list. And you would probably get overwhelmed, possibly hyperventilate. And then if I said, okay, go to it what would you do? Some of you would just freeze and not be able to do anything. Just paralyzed. Analysis paralysis. How many of us would really just start taking that list and plowing through it like that third grade class did so many years ago? Chances are what we have learned how to do over time from trying these things and not being successful at it is we would take time and we would prioritize. We would look at the list and figure out First things first, the big things, the things that matter most, figuring all those things out and get them in the right order and take them one bite at a time.
So often in our practice of faith, we get caught up in, in wanting to fix everything and want to do everything and want to get it all right. Sometimes maybe we just need to break it down and do one step at a time. We talk a lot about being hearers of the word and doers of the word here. We've been talking about this for four years, and I think that's important. We need to hear God's word and then do it. And part of doing that sometimes is we see all the problems in the world around us. We want to go fix them all. We want to fix them all right now because it's, it's just too much. It's not what God intended for creation to be. So let's just take one of these, for example, how sometimes if we just sort of charge into things, we might not make things better like we think we do. Let's take hunger, for example. I think it's all fair to say that all of us agree that hunger in America is a travesty. There's no excuse for it. In the land of plenty, that there is no excuse that anyone goes to bed hungry. So if I were to pull up a map of the city and say that this neighborhood right here, wherever it is, that they have high incidences of people who are what they call food insecurity, people that are hungry. What could we do? Now, someone might say, you know what we could do? We could all leave church right now, go to Publix, and buy a ton of groceries. And we get some boxes, and we'll box them up, and we'll go to those houses, and we'll drop them off, and we can feed the people. It's not a bad thing. Your hearts are in the right spot. But here's the catch. Here's what we're learning is the more we study these things. If we do that, that solves the problem, one, for however long the food lasts. But two, by doing that, we haven't really honored their wishes. And two, they do buy food, sometimes from mom and pop shops right there in their neighborhood. And so if we bring in food from Publix, where we would think to go automatically and don't buy it from the mom and pop shops, don't let people buy it from the mom and pop shops, or because we give them so much they don't have to buy for a while, the mom and pop shops do what? They lose revenue. Maybe they go out of business. And now we've made the food desert bigger because now there are more hungry people and there's not food right in their neighborhood. So what would happen if we spent time looking at it and figured out a way to do helping that doesn't hurt? If we really prayed about this and really thought about these conversations and, and were enlightened about this and prayed and God showed us ways to partner together so that we would help our neighbors as God calls us to, we might find a better system, a better strategy for addressing hunger in which everyone is lifted up and the problem is solved. See, that's this whole idea that John Wesley talked about, about doing good and doing no harm. So often what happens is we think that we just need to go barreling in life and we see a problem that we should jump right to fixing it. I mean, that's our desire to want to do good. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let me be really clear. There's nothing wrong with that. Because we want to fix a problem. We want to quickly prove our faith by doing something. But the reality is this. Our salvation is by faith alone. It's not, we can't prove it. We only know it in here. It's by faith alone. But the things that we do show that we're listening to God. And that brings us all the way back to Mary and Martha. Because in listening to God and spending time at Christ's feet, we begin to seek the right ways to make change, the right ways to help our world, the right ways to do transformation, the right ways to invite people into the sacred story. And so we focus on the relationship of God's love for us, but we also begin to focus on the best ways to love one another, the best ways to focus on how we serve one another. 
And in the middle of that, we realize it's not about us and our desire to say, oh, look, we did this, but it's really about our desire to go and do this together because it's about humanity and God's children. It's about not being distracted by all the things that we have to do and being focused on the one thing that God calls us to do and the way that God calls us to do it. When Jesus said, Martha, Martha, he was getting her attention, getting our attention, telling us, let's focus on the thing that matters most, not just the relationship, but what flows from that relationship, how you live, how you serve, what you do. So my friends, I end where I started I think about our lives and the list that we have, and sometimes we're tempted to look at that long list like a classroom full of third graders, and we're tempted to plow right from the very beginning and just try to tackle all the things. If we get to the bottom of the list, maybe we would find the nugget that's there that's really just what Martha learned, just what Mary knew, that the world needs more of what Mary did. The world needs more Mary's followers who are willing to sit at the feet of Jesus resting in the assurance that Christ saves us, but really building upon that relationship, on that love that he has for us, and seeing where and how we are to be and act in the world around us. And that when we do that, then we are truly not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.